I'm Natasha, and I'm Red. And together we are Syllogism, a science, culture, and philosophy challenge podcast on the edge of chaos. Welcome to the season two finale. This week's challenge was to pull our favorite moments from season two's exploration of multiple intelligences and brainstorm ideas for season three. Originally, we planned on rounding out the season with an IQ test, but our expert guest on human intelligence won't be able to join us until the spring, so we'll do a special episode on IQ at that time. Thanks for hanging out with us, and if you have any suggestions for Season 3, please leave us a comment on our newsletter. Enjoy! getting cold feet let me put my socks on (laughs) you know in general i think this season has been a real challenge for me and i think it's manifesting fully right now like in the final pushes of this season and i don't know about you but i'm an intuitive person right so i think about it in a larger picture okay are you an n are you an n in the myers-briggs yes yes so i'm intp of course you are i don't have a lot of so when we were talking about this a little bit, the J portion of things in yeah. is weak at best and only comes out when I need it to be defensive. And then when it does, it is so fucking savage that I will murder you. But it's it's not really generally present. It's actually a manifestation of pathology in me. Wow. That's what I think. Wow. You're... My, my P is pathological. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're pathological. Well, I like split the difference on everything. So I could be any different flavor of Myers-Briggs like any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm so like towards the middle on everything, except intuitive. That's the only thing that is like very strong consistently. And there's a place for all this stuff, I think. And that's like where we started out with this season is what is the value of intelligence as a psychometric, as a cognitive tool as understanding human beings, right? Like, is IQ the only way to really get at people's value? And that's where I started out with this season with like a fierce, um, like opposition to anybody who's, who overstates the importance of intelligence as a metric for measuring people's value or worth. Okay. So I think I, I approached this a little bit differently. And that is that I think that there are ways in which people are valuable that have little to do with IQ, but IQ as a thing is uncontested as a measure of, let's say, absolute capacity for abstraction. And beyond a certain level, it may be inhibitory. So let's say people high on the Aspie spectrum, let's say, of things might be really good at mathematics, but sacrifice a lot of the other spectra of human expression and so forth. But there's a certain amount that's needed for creativity such that a minimally intelligent person is never going to manifest something like creative. That's uh, not true. Either. That's not true. Well, this is where I started. This is my starting point. So (laughs) this is where you started. Untrue, but I did also also begin somewhere. And my thing was IQ is like the king of abstraction. But it, ha- but it has failings in that it does not capture the full spectrum of what it is to be human. But it nevertheless is a thing that is quantifiable to a degree such that a very smart person will not, if they take the test in earnest, score very low. And a person who is not very smart 
is never, no matter how hard they try, going to score very high. And so I, I think it is accurate to a degree when you're talking about the capacity to abstract. And so okay. in, that, in that way, it is a dimension of being human. It is not the totality of humanity. Okay. So I think, yeah, I mean, because like it rings in my ears <laughs> when you said in this stupid episode, I'm going to have to put the clip in. Uh-oh. But you were, you were like. <laughs> Where you're going to just take every dumb fucking thing I've ever said. No, no. It just, this particular, this spawned an entire season, this dumb thing you said. No. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, it's not that dumb if it made a season for us. So. Right. No. But the thing you said was, I can't wait to debate these multiple intelligence people. And I was like, well, then debate me. Because the way it felt was like, Ugly. that if you're a dummy, you're a dummy and like you're worthless is how I took it. Hmm. Okay. You know, that there's no value in if you're dumb. Okay. Well, well, no, because when you think about even for society generally, you need a kind of stratification. So there are going to be people who are perfectly fine doing, let's say, rote menial things because the mind itself will not expand beyond that. And, you know, they're content. And they might also be content with those things, by the way, because they're prone to anxiety and they're prone to anxiety because they're smart. And they're so smart that it, in fact, keeps them from doing things that are maybe more advanced, despite their, their more uh, capacious intellect, let's say. However, you need people to do you know, things at the very bottom. And so just like an ecosystem, if you look at what ants are doing and what fungi are doing, all those things support, you know, the charismatic megafauna that is my hair. And with, and so you do have value because every part of the ecosystem supports something else. So when I think of like Terrence Tao would not be hanging out on a blackboard, working out some of the most complex mathematics ever, ever known to man with, if he needed to worry about, you know, how he was going to get food. So, right. He does so, have so to worry how he's going to get food. He does, though. You can't. Well, this is like the thing I wrote about the menial, the fiefdom of menial care tasks. Like everybody has to worry about how they're going to get food. It's just it's not that big of a challenge. And how right. much you worry about it is variable. Like some people think about food in the sense that like literally all I think about is the thing I'm going to eat next. You know, it's like the center of their world. So okay. I think it's just people center on different things. But the way that you talk about it places this like importance on Terrence Tao. And I guess I'm, I guess maybe over this season, I might've realized I'm more of a cultural relativist than you. Well, that's incestuous. I'm just saying. But <laughs> could you explain that to me? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, if you're in love with your relatives, you might have some issues. <laughs> it's a bad joke. I told you I was going to show up caffeinated. Yeah, well, you are. Yeah, and I, I, I slept like shit, but, but me too. Caffeine helps. I always, every episode, before every episode, the night before, no matter how much I want the rest and know I need it, I sleep like shit. Interesting. I don't, but this episode, I was dreading this episode because, like I said, I view the whole season as a, like a complete piece, you know? Even the first season I look at, I didn't know when we were going to end the first season, but I felt it. I was like, okay, I'm fucking tired but around episode nine or 10. I was like, we're going we're gonna to have to cut this. And we closed it out. But the whole piece of that was free flow exploration. The whole piece of this was the exploration of intelligence with the culmination of an IQ test. 
And the fact that our guest that I found was so amenable to coming on, but he won't be able to come on until the spring, that just put a huge wrench in my plan. I planned on doing this episode anyways as like a recap of the season, but it just annoyed me that it my masterpiece is missing a fucking thing, you know? Like, it just, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe the masterpiece just takes a little bit longer to incubate, and that happens when all kinds of other things are going on, including resting for a little while, which will allow us to have a fantastic conversation with you know an eminently appropriate guest. Eminently, eminently <laughs> appropriate. Damn. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, he's like an, right? he, this guy is like you know he know he knows what he's talking about when it comes to psychometrics. So at yeah. a minimum. When we're dealing with, when we're talking about talking with experts about things and then exploring what it's like to be able to inhabit all of those spaces, at least for a little while, however good or poorly we did on some of the things, like my skating was infantile. So, so this guy, that kind of expert. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be good. I'm, ex I'm excited for that. It's just, you know, this episode we have to deal with. And also, I think the format of this episode, we changed the challenge. Obviously, the challenge was to, recap the last season and kind of pull out our favorite and maybe most uncomfortable moments or you know just anything that stood out like a superlative episode yeah and then talk about the future and what we're going to be doing next episode and it just felt incomplete like doing that without the last final piece but i will uh i will just digress on that yeah well maybe there's another way to look at this and that is that to the degree that there is a divergence with IQ as a thing that many would think stands on its own as a measure of human capacity and these multiple intelligences which explore all kinds of things, maybe this is a good way to say, okay, well, here's a cleavage point and guess what? <laughs> here's this, let's encapsulate that and then let's have this one discussion around this other issue. They're interrelated, but you know, there's a little bit of a bifurcation and that's the point. Look at that cognitive framing in real time. You just made that up just now. You were just like, yeah. that's how I'm going to look at this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's something I love about men. Like they're so, it's just so simple for them to say things like that. And then they convince themselves that that's, yep, that's it. Well, I mean, there are other, so, so my, 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 I think my basic position is if I'm going to look at something, why am I going to, you know, flog myself with a manner of framing that looks like something is incomplete or a failure or something like that. And why can't I just say, well, hey, look at this magnificent success and let's build on that. And I don't know. So I look at it as a kind of optimism and, yeah. and so there's a certain, th there's a value in being able to do that well enough that you can be excited about what's to come rather than feeling like the next thing that I do is also going to suck because I'm coming out as a kind of flagellant who's you know, scarred on their back from all the whippings. So, <laughs> certainly uh, i need more delusion in my life that's one yeah, thing so, I've realized. I look, it's it, it, both are delusional but pick your delusion True. and I, I i err on the side of optimism i err on the side of like scarification <laughs> <laughs> and you know there's an interesting parallel here and i'm just gonna bring this one up so like when you think about the two of us you are well you are a kind of mosaic of art on your body from tattooing which is a kind <laughs> of masochism and i have zero and and so there you go. Yeah, right. As I like body, suffering. As yeah. in the body, so in the mind. 
I read this thing on Twitter the other day. Twitter is becoming like increasingly like toxically masculine. God. And I'm not going to correlate that with like Elon or anything. I'm just, okay. maybe it's just what I'm noticing. But there were, this guy on Twitter posted a study about grad students in the UK and their perceptions of women with tattoos in terms of like attractiveness uh -huh. and sexual promiscuity and alcohol consumption. And they said, what about a woman with one tattoo on her ankle? What about a woman with two tattoos? What about a woman with like a heart tattoo? You know, and kind of like increasingly four or more tattoos. What do you think? And it turned out that they, that the, there was a decrease in attractiveness and perception of attractiveness. With, and it's just a random, like made up woman. It's not a real woman that they're showing. They're like, how do you think this woman would look? How do you think this woman would act? But they said, like, in general, the more tattoos, the less attractive, which is not a surprise considering, like, body modification and symmetry is, like, a real perception of attractiveness. But they also said that the more tattoos, like, the more sexually promiscuous and the more mm. likely she is to be an alcoholic. So I'm like, damn, I look real bad. <laughs> which is why every podcast, you're drunk. Look at how you're sipping. Well, how you put a sipping, girl? I'm going to have some, it's too. Coffee. Cheers. That's coffee. You know. Well, yeah. So, it, look, lots of people hide vodka in their coffee. Just saying. Most of them, are, tattooed. Most of them are tattooed uh, women. Maybe I'd or, feel better if I... If yeah. I'd... I would say, if you see a man on Twitter assessing women, he's a fucking incel. He doesn't know about <laughs> women. He wouldn't know what to do with a woman if she were in the room with him alone and actually receptive to any of his advances. So, you know, if you're with a woman... You're not going to write these things. So I, I would say that incel philosophy is not a starting point for your life. Well, there, I, I, this is not the only one. There was another guy who I've started following, and his tweets are private for good reason. And this guy posted basically on the on the tail ends of the IQ distribution. Women in the top 2 to 5% or whatever are on average lower than men. And on the tails, not the overall, not in the middle. But right. at least on the high end, he wanted to make an honorary degree for like intellectually mediocre women. And I was like, wow, like, and he was like, well, it's true because most women get these stupid sociology degrees. Wow. Like you're real misogynist. Wow. So, I mean, you know, realistically, you know, a very smart person could do sociology extraordinarily well. And there is, you know, higher order mathematics involved in anything that you're going to do when you're doing a study. So, you know, the strengths of women looking at social issues is actually well, where they would gravitate and the best research is going to come out of there. Now, along with that is a lot of mediocrity and a lot of bullshit as yeah, well. Everywhere. That happens everywhere. So, right. so what kind of nonsense is that I have heard this, you know, there, there are more men at the tails. So, so it's like more, it's like more idiots and more geniuses. Um, but think about it also. The thing that I think people neglect with that is that women were never fucking schooled. We barely learned how to read. You know, it's the same thing with different cultural groups. Yeah. You, you know, you look at Papua New Guinea, of course their IQ is low because we're looking at a scale that is not like an appropriate scale. Well, and I think, well, well, yeah, and there is something too. Women actually mature faster. And so there is this arc where men will lag in terms right. of intellectual development. And For so, sure. Everybody knows well, that. Yeah. Well, every, I mean, everybody knows that. The, the problem with that is that all too many of these incel theorists on Twitter will try to make women into their moms. And that's a weird Freudian thing that no one should ever do.
Yeah. It's, <laughs> the internet sometimes it's just so <laughs> awful. And I think, yeah, like when you start to feel yourself being sucked into seeing all kinds of negative shit, you have to put your phone in a locked place and not return to it for some time because man, that shit can just like suck all your thought process and energy. And it goes into like fighting shit that is just dumb that you see someone. Sometimes I see people comment on a meme, a post or something. And I'm just like, I look at it and I go, wow, I already gave this way too much thought. (laughs) (laughs) Just after two seconds of even looking at it. Okay, so let's, oh, fuck. Let's talk about, let's talk about the season. Should we do our, like, do we, should we do some superlatives? The fan favorite episode so far, and it's weird because this happened last season as well. It's episode one and the last episode. So Hmm, I don't know if this will count as the last episode, but so far, the last episode we did and episode one are the top two episodes. Hmm, Okay. So people like the bookend and then maybe towards the middle, they get a little, I don't know. But with that being said, I think episode one was my favorite conversation. The feeling before we talked, the excitement of the multiple intelligence theory before I started like feeling like, damn you fucking Howard Gardner, you're making my life hell. Um, (laughs) It felt fun. Matt was an awesome guest. Yeah. And it was just a fun conversation. I had a blast doing it. I was drunk for that episode. That, well, that's interesting. So I had, you know, I had special stuff going on for that. You episode. had special. I had special stuff going on. So, so that might be why it's not. Well, I wouldn't. It's not my least favorite because it was very good, and it was very good. I think in part because Matt is so polished. Like yeah, he was. He's good. a professional guest who knew exactly how to have a conversation, and he, yeah. He basically uh, agreed right off the bat that a multiple intelligence theory was bullshit. And of course, no. I resonate with any of that. No. Uh, and let's see. Wait, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. So, yeah, I like his show, you know, and I listen to it regularly now. And I find myself very often agreeing with a lot of what they say about people that I follow and also enjoy. But I like the counterpoint. Mm-hmm. And I feel that in some instances, they definitely lean a little bit too far like into into progressive stan so, so like for instance for sure. they did an episode on kendy and they did one on robin d'angelo recently right and it would not right? and we're not ripping them assholes the way that they rip right. you know like jordan peterson and gad sad assholes and right. kendy is as close look you want to talk about left side of the bell curve this is as close to a retard <laughs> that had like you know this book is ghost written you, this book is ghost written by somebody with, you know, with a 90 IQ and he suffers less than that. And Robin D'Angelo is the worst flagellant. So she's clearly a grifter. These people are not even remotely intellectuals and they give them way too much of a pass. So that's my, that would be my one little critic yeah. of, of the gurus guys. I love them. I love their show. I love their perspective on people that I follow because I see things that I don't see in the first pass of listening because of my own biases. But that that bullshit got to go. They need to tear up, get get an injection of testosterone and tear up their own side to be genuinely ripping apart gurus because there are no gurus with a more deleterious effect on society right now than those who are race grifting. And these two are at the pinnacle of that movement. I drop the mic. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And 
really hard on certain gurus and it just gets a little bit annoying because like it's like at some point like you are the problem my main issue with the gurus pod which i don't listen to regularly i appreciate their perspective and i like their critique but honestly chris cavanaugh's voice is just too much for me first of all it, I takes, it takes some adaptation it's an acquired taste uh, yeah it is caviar <laughs> and then also it's just grating. Like, I don't want to sit and listen to someone just rip someone a new asshole for two hours. I just can't. I just have no, like, there's a, it makes my stomach turn, to be honest. Like, I mean, tearing shit down, that's not what I'm about. Okay. Matt's funny. Like, Matt's lighthearted and the stuff that I have listened to, I appreciate it. But sometimes it gets in the weeds and I'm like, oh, no, I'm done now. It's just too much. Yeah. But I still liked the episode. I thought the episode was fun. And he did not say multiple intelligences was bullshit. He you said both it's said not it. You both agreed. Like, this isn't a real theory and blah, 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 blah. Like, you both agreed with me. So he I'm did just. Not, he did not say it's bullshit. He said. It's, it's a sub theory. Remember, we came up with sub theory. With, like, it's a sub theory. Well, let me finish. He said that it's not tested. There's no proper testing for it. And I agree with that. But my entire argument this entire season is that there is something to aptitudes of varying domains. And there's something in there. There's value in there. So is it a, a replacement for G? Absolutely not. Not even close. Nowhere near it. But there's something in there. And also, I think the structure of placing G up here kind of over everything else is more symbolic of our culture than actual human value. I agree with you that it is not the totality of human value. But I think when you look at all of these other intelligences that we explored along the way, and I love this season for the challenges. I had the best time coming out of my comfort zone on so many things. But to a degree, G is the thing that is going to limit your skill in, in many of these other intelligences. So. So like, for instance, if you look at someone like, well, I, I, I love the, the thing. So you do a couple things. So sometimes you make a, you like, you want to disagree with me. You're like, well, lift this side. You're like that motherfucker. I'm going to fucking rip up as soon as I get your chance to speak. <laughs> I love that. I know the, con the, the contrary <laughs> come out. <laughs> so, so like, for instance. If you look at something like Da Vinci, again, this is like the apex of human you know, capacity when it comes to a variety of things. That guy was able to excel at all kinds of different scientists. He was also an artist and also a sculptor and also an engineer. Like a person who can acquire a skill at drawing is almost never going to be as good as Da Vinci was. Most engineers will never do anything that is going to approximate what Da Vinci was doing 500 years ago, except for the fact that they have his example. And most, and most people will never be able to sculpt other than a piece of pottery, perhaps. So your ability to acquire skill in these differentiated areas is, in my opinion, not, and this is, you know, again, not a... You ain't got data. I ain't got no data, but what I'm okay. going to say is this. Okay. If you ain't got motherfucking G, your ability to think about yourself existentially is probably not going to be that great. Your ability to think math, acquire mathematical skill and think mathematically is going to have a ceiling. And that ceiling is going to be determined by G. So right. you can have all these different, this, these different capacities and specializations, but even the most practiced person 
who has a lower, let's say, let's say you know, low, lower G of something, let's say you're somewhere, but you're not up here, you, no matter what you do over the course of several lifetimes is not going to equate to what this person up here can do. In that specific domain. In that, do in that domain and perhaps any other domain because uh -uh. your expertise and your expertise. So, so, the so the reason that something is G is that it's generalizable, right? Generalizable doesn't mean all-encompassing. Yes, okay, I think G can limit you. And sometimes I feel the limits of my own ceiling. Sometimes I'm thinking about a problem and I can feel the edge of my computation on the problem. And I'm like, oh, it just, it's so frustrating. I wish I were smarter. A lot of times that happens when we're thinking about, when I'm thinking about physics. I'm like, my ability to abstract this is limited, given that, okay? But the main thing that G does is determine who's a retard, to be honest, because anybody of average, and seriously, that's it. You're so ableist. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> who is developmentally, developmentally retarded, not able to function according to our societal standards, white supremacy, blah, 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 whatever the fuck. Wait a second, where's my white supremacy card? Uh, no, I, <laughs> so, shit. But this is the thing, is IQ tells you who is an idiot. And then on the other end, I think it tells you who is also an idiot but has a high IQ. Because most of the people who go around talking about IQ this and that, they're fucking stupid. Like, because I, I would, they, over, they place too much emphasis on it. Well, I think, well, you'll probably find this, I, I agree with you on that. So generally speaking, if someone is walking around talking to you about their IQ or something of that sort, the probability is they are retard because actual smart people just do things and demonstrate it. You can see it in their work. You can see it in a, a variety of things. I don't need to tell you, oh, well, well, guess what? You know, I'm a member of X society and only one person in a thousand can get in this. And I'm fucking brilliant compared to you. I'm always the smartest person. But isn't that what you've done this whole season? <laughs> well, no, I just demonstrated. I don't need to. <laughs> need to well, we're talking about it. I'm, we're well, talking well, the about it. Itself, that... The season itself is talking about, well. That's how I feel. Ad nauseum about this, I think. And that's why I'm like, I wish it were like finito. Because I've never really been particularly interested in intelligence. But this was, but this, this was a demonstration of human intelligence. So think about this for a moment. This is the way I look at it, at least. How you and I aren't experts in fucking any of the things that we did. Right. But we were all able to, you know, in many instances, you know, just from scratch, do some pretty interesting things and, you know, at a reasonable level that someone else could recognize as, hey, you did something. What is that a demonstration right. of? It's a generalized. It, it's, it's a generalized ability to insert yourself into a conversation with someone with expertise and not be so utterly stupid that you couldn't have a reasonably decent conversation with them. And so, to me, we didn't need to talk about intelligence. We just demonstrated that we got some, and we also have some skills to which we've applied intelligence to varying degrees along the way. And that's it. So, yeah, I, that, that's how I saw it. No, I saw it that way, too. It was I thought it would be just a fun challenge for us to try different things that are not necessarily entirely IQ dependent. I mean, creativity is one of those things like leadership. I, I see how IQ could be almost inversely correlated with creativity because there is such an order and logic to generalize intelligence that 
you might go, that doesn't make any sense together at all. And it's not logical. Whereas creativity doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's still some correlation. It's probably below some ceiling of IQ in which the ability to do something synthetic requires memory and some additional capacity to fuse them in a way that also makes sense. So IQ won't tell you that you will do that because creativity is, it's probably, a, it's a component of something maybe else because mm -hmm. it is not inherently okay. analytical, but IQ will allow you to do the analysis to come up with the multitude of maybe permutations of ideas within some synthesis. Maybe because it's a pattern recognition. So I might be really good at pattern recognition and be shit at the rest of whatever is you know, making up IQ. Pattern recognition is, I think, what you're talking about. Well, Creativity has a lot to do with that. Yeah. So it's interesting. I was thinking about this actually this morning when we did our visual episode. So we had to create a piece of original artwork. But I remember, you know, and if you look at mine, it almost looks like something like this. I was in some high school class and this teacher brought out, I guess at the time, it was images that, that were, they were put together in such a way that there's something there that's barely liminal, right? And so it's the rapidity with which you could recognize the image and make it liminal to yourself and say, hey, I got it. The eureka moment of perceiving the deliberately obscured pattern. Like and a magic eye? Not exactly like that. It was more like, you know, if you look at this image, it looks like one thing, but in here is like a picture of Jesus or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you have to cull find the it image somehow. of Jesus and find it. And so I, I was like, I could find them so fast. It was ridiculous. And at one point, the one, the, this one, the teacher's like, I started to stare at this for like two hours and it took me so long to get it. And I'm like, oh, I got that. I got that. That's fucking pattern recognition. I don't think that's entirely it because a lot of those things have to do with depth perception and reframing oh. and the, so i i mean i don't think that tells you as much as you think it tells you but if you think about like the 3d eye puzzles a lot of people couldn't get them i i honestly i think i've only ever gotten a couple of them and i really haven't looked into why i can't see them but i can't see 3d eye puzzles and i've tried so i know why you can't see them i struggled to see them and it's because i can't cross my fucking eyes so oh no, I can I, see them when I cross my eyes, but when well, it's I divergent, I can't. Okay. Cause so I learned to be able to do this, you know, and right now I can split you. Actually, there's like two of you right now, which is pretty cool. Cause maybe you could argue with yourself. PC, <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking do that. But I had to practice that and I was I'm naturally able to do the divergent thing for whatever reason. Oh. And it doesn't take that much for it to happen, but I can't cross my eyes. So there were a lot of things I couldn't see. But that's not the same thing as the like the 2D picture that's meant to be 2D and seeing within it the It's ability the to shift your perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's a perspective shift, definitely. And I think a lot of people are cognitively rigid. And that's probably a big part of probably both the 3D and the 2D eye puzzle is cognitive rigidity. Yeah, and so maybe that's the difference. Here's where things diverge. You can teach people all kinds of things and make them more intelligent, let's say, in a crystalline way, I know more about a topic, let's say. But your ability to grab that and to think about it in a way that, that's, that transcends what you merely know and understands how to be consilient, that thing is the fluidity that is absent in those people. So you'll often see among the more educated, let's say, a kind of hubris about their crystallized intelligence 
but really you're just a thought slave. And uh, thought puppet. Thought Remember, puppet. The puppet? we never did the thought puppet. We did a thought puppet T-shirt. You're a fucking thought puppet because in the end, you're not going to think anything new. You are just regurgitating some bullshit that you were told. And maybe you're a little bit better able to remember it. Or maybe you just are more of a person who is pro programmable. But you're not necessarily a thinker. And but so there's nothing new under the sun. There's another bifurcation there. There's nothing new under the sun, though. That's the problem. You know, it's like the idea that you can't think something new. Nobody fucking can. But the idea that you can bring divergent things together to make something, to make a combination that is not immediately accessible to you, that is, I think, more of what you're talking about. It doesn't have to well, be novel. Well, it's but just that's what, but, contextually but it's, novel. Okay. I, and I can see that, but I think you can bring that novelty, that synthetic kind of, of reasoning to a variety of circumstances. And some of those can be art and some of those can be, you know, let's say sociological intuition. And some of those might be like, you know, like, like our guy, Noah, who was like, let's look at what we can do with game theory and apply it to algorithms and see what we can do to create a market space. So that is a level of analysis and creativity that is a synthesis of ideas that I think results in that, that results in something new insofar as the information existed, maybe it doesn't at the level of this really is kind of a game and this is what we're doing to try to make sure that things perpetually expand. But to say there's another way to, to deal with this and I'm going to apply this particular methodology and come up with something new in the way that I'm going to analyze it, that's creativity. That's literally so, what I said in like three words. But that's new. That's new. Like, like contextual novelty is what I said. And you defined it basically. Yeah. So, so yes, it's, well, it's both contextual and it's genuinely novel. Marginal. Because without that synthesis, it wouldn't exist in the world. Marginal. And there wouldn't be a way to, well, it's, yes, it's partial because things build upon themselves. And so any grand insight is founded on something, but without that additional insight, there's nothing new to go on to. And so if you look at the arc of technological progress up until very recently, lots of things are founded on something else. Yes. But then they also engendered something new. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you fucking beat that to death like you beat that <laughs> I mean, i'm just saying there's some new shit there's some new yeah. shit whether and i agree with you five minutes ago <laughs> marginally <laughs> speaking of noah i don't know how you felt about that episode but that was probably the most pleasantly surprising episode for me we had all those technical difficulties and then it turned out so well and yeah, I mean, I think I was really, that one I was like, whoa, <laughs> challenge within the challenge. Yeah. But I really like Noah, and I'm actually going to talk to him soon, but about some things. Nice. But I was really pleasantly surprised with that one. Yes, I was too, because I watched him in other episodes, and it was hard to listen to people try to match what he was saying but not giving him the space to really just to really shine and to goof around and humanize him a little bit at the same time as exploring some of the deeper ideas that he had and i think we did a really good job yeah of that you know pat, pat ourselves on the back yeah 
Yeah, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed the conversation, but I was concerned because Noah himself says, I'm not very good verbally or linguistically. And that concerned me, right? But it also intrigued me because a lot of what we're talking about here is a broad intelligence, like a polymathy almost. And he was more of a hyper-specialist. And even still to this day, I will say, I still don't know. I can't validate his theory and say if it makes sense or if his algorithms actually has utility in the world. But that's the, and that's a big problem, right? But I'm not a mathematician. That's not my job to do that. But I want to know what was your favorite episode. So. I already know. It's definitely the intrapersonal one. <laughs> hated it. Hated it. No, it was, it was the musical one for me. The musical yeah. one. I think, I think Zachariah was so good at conversing with us that I felt like I knew him for a long time and we were just out talking about ideas and it was interesting to see us both make some music. And I think we, we both, I mean, you know, clearly you do, you know, much more than me as a complete novice, but it was cool to just do that and see what came out and to appreciate it, to struggle against my own limitations. And then also to hear you struggling with what I'm, what you were going to release and what that just kind of was revealing about you. So I feel like I learned a lot about you just watching you do that and then talking about it. So for me all around, that's my absolute favorite. Yeah, that was a great episode. It was the hardest for me. It was the absolute most difficult episode for me i dreaded that one too like this one i mean i'm dreaded but i dreaded it because i'm like what the fuck are we going to talk about and i'm my own irritation with not having completeness but th that was the only episode that i was just like didn't sleep well and and you're right i learned a lot about myself as well and i think i don't think i learned as much about you in that episode i think it, it confirmed what i know about you i was not surprised by your I'm music <laughs> I think, I mean, I think I learned the most about you actually in the intrapersonal episode. And it's funny that you hated that one, but, you know, you were really vulnerable in that episode. And I was surprised that you said as much as you did on air. Because sometimes yeah. I think we forget that we're performing. I mean, I know I do, or we're supposed to be performing. That one was, I mean, in general, this season, I think I learned a lot introspectively about myself that I didn't expect. And I think that's why this was a tough season for me in a lot of ways. Whereas I can lean on G, I can lean on intellect. I'm not an idiot. I'm probably below 130, I think. When I was a kid, I took a test and I think they said it was like 128 when I was like in fourth grade. So we, I don't know what my IQ is now, but I don't think I'm like, I know I'm not an idiot, but I also know that I'm not like, a genius. So it's, it, I can, but I can lean on that intellect and I can read more and I can think more and I can do all of that kind of stuff around a topic. But I felt like this season, I really had to dig deep away from the intellectual. And that was tough. I would do something like this you know, again, even if we just did it as, you know, in, in different ways, because I mean, I didn't want to go and talk to people on the street and teach them stuff oh, <laughs> you know i hadn't even thought I, roller skating was never again on my list of shit to do zero times right 
naturalistic. I do that all the time. Do I want to put on a, a weird show about how squirrels are actually like Russian sabotage? Probably not. Although I would have done more skits. That's something that you I You and your skits, dude. I don't I mean, even... I... I learned a lot about myself too. And I think among the most important things, and I think I, I said this to a, a few people, is when I was a kid, when I was a wee little boy, you do a variety of things. Maybe you're, you know, you're drumming around, you know, you're drawing or whatever. And I did some stuff with, with drawing, but not too much because I became so verbal so early and it was so, so rewarded that I really leaned into, into language. And then it was interesting to see the ways in which that applies to some things. Like I could describe what I could do, you know, my artwork real fucking well. <laughs> you, would have to, you would have to struggle to look at a 3D painting to see if you could see the shit that I was talking about. But really, you know, this is the problem for, with being rewarded socially for something like that very early and being, you know, being praised for it by your family and then being expected to do things with it by your family has meant that there's a lot of other things inside me that are stifled. So, so my quasi synesthetic response to music really tells me something about there's something in there that needs to be expressed that I don't, that I haven't had access to because I'm doing this specialized thing so much yeah. that I'm, I'm missing out on this aesthetic emotional response to 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 sounds that in me is so powerful that it, it makes me cry like a baby so i just kind of realized i'm missing out on so many other aspects of myself and i feel like somewhere at this stage of my life i'm only partially formed and i need to look at these other things Damn. figure out how to do something with them and it, if it wasn't for this doing this with you, never would have thought of that again. It wasn't. It wasn't on my list. I was like, "This mm. is it. This is who I am." But wow. I'm not. Anymore. And it's because of the transformative experience of forcing myself to look at the limitations I have and the skills that I haven't developed. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad. I'm really glad that this season, as painful as it was, did that for you. I think I don't know yet what it's done for me, and I think I, that's why I have to take breaks. Because after the first season, I felt tired at the end, but then, but then during the break, I was like, I felt energized. I love podcasting. I love having discussions. I loved it so much that I started Neo Academia. I started a second podcast and trying a little bit different format. And I think it takes me a little while to sit and marinate on things and take in the whole big picture once it's a completed thing. That's why I like the concept of seasons because I, I need shorter projects. I need a finite stamp on things to go, okay, what was that? What was that? And then to bring everything kind of together and look at it through a bigger lens. I need short analytical kind of periods to look back. Well, that's but important for you to know about yourself though. I mean, that, that alone is an important insight because, you know, something I've noticed in, in, you know, knowing you for the time I have is that you will work yourself to the fucking bone. And someone over here, so, someone, you know, far away and not too, and not on the other side of the country, but far enough has to say, Okay, now that you've made a little time for yourself, luxuriate in that time. Don't fucking fill it with more fucking work because you need that space to just relax. And it's evident to somebody who watches you. It's not always evident you know, to yourself. You know it. Yeah. And especially after having done this twice, and maybe you've had inklings of it in the past, but it shows up really clearly that everyone needs you know, an appropriate break to process what just happened. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the learning that's supposed to happen doesn't take place. Yeah. The recapitulation of learning is almost as essential as the initial learning itself, because 
you know, your working memory, short-term memory is one thing, but then long-term memory is a consolidation process. And your memories get kind of stored with emotional responses and smells and all these other things that come along with it. It takes a while for it to marinate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, I, look, I just took a shower before the show, and I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah. You, we already need marinating. Need more time for marination, I think. But another thing that I really like is rhythm. I like having a defined rhythm. And I think that was the difficulty with this season, probably in getting guests. So I think next season, I don't know if we should do as many yes, because that fucked with my rhythm a little bit. And it was, I spent more time thinking about the guest probably than the actual facet of intelligence that we were exploring. And you don't know how a guest is going to perform. It's all a surprise. You have your ideal guest. But then some, it was kind of like, well, this is definitely not what I expected. Like episode eight, for example, the, <laughs> lang the linguistic episode. <laughs> so, what, so tell me about that. What did you think? Well, no, I got to be candid. Fuck. Okay. Well, that man is either a troll or an idiot. Probably both. Oh, wow. Okay. So... Cut. Um, you know, no, but I watched him do the entire, the entire Arabic alphabet for like 14 hours straight on YouTube, just over and over and over. And I was like, this is some Mr. Beast ass level, like fucking brain shit. It's some Gen like, Z weird shit. Like an OCD sort of thing? I, I'm not you sure. You gotta be. You've gotta have some weird OCD tick to recite an alphabet for 12 hours straight or whatever it is. I would do that zero times in my life. Zero. Oh my God. I'm reading audiobooks for my YouTube and I do it on TikTok sometimes just so people can like listen to me reading it. And it's like double dose of content. Yeah. But even that, I'm like, I'm tired. Uh, even after like an hour, I'm like, Bleh. like, I, I <laughs> and so that's anyways, not that, a repetitive thing though. That's oh, not like God. reciting or fucking, I mean, Oh, just, I don't expect everybody to know everything we're talking about. We bring up some weird esoteric shit that like, like the Sapir Warp hypothesis. Like who fucking knows about that except people who talk to linguists and like, and who or you and I who are not, who are not generally. Well, I have friends who are into linguistics, okay. but uh, nobody knows that shit. So I didn't expect him to know it, but for him to just go, I don't have an opinion about that because my sponsors won't like it. I was not cool with that. I will. He managed to be able to do well enough with this stuff to say, I don't need a motherfucking day job. Word. So he's got to do what he has to do to protect Perhaps, what, yeah. you know, what he got. And if that means I, I have an opinion, but I'm not going to opine, maybe that's just the way that it needs to be. And people who know him well, he'll, have, he'll say whatever he thinks, but he's not going to say it in such a way that it disrupts the flow of money. And forces him back into a job he can't stand because he prefers to be doing this stuff. Well, and some people just are more, more they don't reveal as much of themselves. And it's weird because you think he's revealing a lot of himself, but he's revealing a lot of a persona. He doesn't actually want to reveal himself. And for someone like me, who, uh, whether I should or not, is debatable, but I'm being me. Like, this is, an, I need to perform more. I'm not performing and that's why, like, it's difficult for me to do these episodes because I'm being sincere and I'm not putting on a persona. And right. so I just don't have a lot of respect for people who come online and people look at you like a figure and you're really just an actor in a television show. Yeah. Hmm. 
that bothers me as an intellectual. Like, I don't like that for intellectuals. If you just want to be a actor or whatever, fine. And I guess that's what he is doing. He's doing comedy and linguistics, not even linguistics, comedy and languages. Maybe I'm putting too many expectations on him and it's my fault for picking him as a guest. Well, 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 I think I don't know if that's necessarily well, well, you see it as a problem and I just see it as kind of, you know, elucidating one of the things we're talking about here. And that is that you can have, you know, an exceptional ability to acquire some skill, like being able to, you know, recognize like the phonemes in all these different languages and then be able to you know recite them and grab them and do phrases and get people to you know laugh at the things that you do and resonate with them and then want to study that's a special kind of like you know intellectual martial art at the same time not thinking about linguistics at all as a kind of as a kind of meta analysis maybe that frees him yeah to be able to do those things because if you're meta it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at the thing you're being meta about. You're talking about a thing that you would be spending time doing that you're really not necessarily good about. And in that way, you're just a theorist. So maybe this is like you and I can do some of the intellectual labor of something because we are not specialists. And because we're not specialists, we can talk about things in a, in a generalizable way, even more so perhaps than the person who has the skill which we ourselves would never put the time in to develop, something like that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like he's a practitioner and we are theorists. I mean, I love languages. I love to study languages, but I don't spend a lot of my time doing it. I do it like, you know, we're going to Mexico and I love going to Mexico because like Spanish, I feel like it's so easy to pick up. Like you can learn Mm. so much and like just so quickly. And every time you speak it, you learn more and more. But I, that's how I like to put language into practice in kind of discrete ways. I don't do it continuously, but he is a specialist. And so I will accept responsibility for whatever weirdness happened in episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, I think it was, I got some feedback on that. I got feedback on that episode. Okay. It was nobody's favorite from what I understand. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I didn't hear anybody say it wasn't a favorite, but people were just kind of surprised at yeah. what he knew versus what he didn't. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the thing I loved about that episode was what we wrote and how we never see each other's challenges before, like the moment of the thing. But when you said at the, you know, you wrote all the shit that I totally expected from you and then brought it around full circle at the end of the day to adaptation. And the fact that I had bullet points, like I would, and then adaptation was at the end of linguistic intelligence. Like, what mm-hmm. is linguistic intelligence? And a lot of it was about adaptation. Holy shit. Like, chef's kiss. Yeah. That was a really cool, like, moment, I think, for you and I, for me to go, like, okay, I see you. It's like, we're, like, we're we're on the same page, whatever that page is. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, yeah, that was, I was, when I heard you reading yours, and then I was, like, Motherfucker. <laughs> ah, was cool. ah, ah. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Then, I mean, thinking about next season, one thing I'd like to do is spend less time thinking about the guest and more time thinking about the topic because that was really what I loved about the first season. We would read something or we would do something or we would watch something. And I fucking love consuming something and creating on top of it or like doing it at the same time. Like I love reading something and writing notes or listening to something and writing notes. Um, 
I just, I love that integration. And I feel like I didn't get a lot of that this season, except for the, the last challenge when we watched the Peterson debate. Yeah. And I thought that was cool too, that we all kind of had the same takeaway. I always wonder, like, are we going to, are we going to have the same general <laughs> idea about something? Yeah. And we did, but that's what I like. So I, so next season, I want to do more of that again, more of the analysis part. Yeah. I remember doing like, like the Kanye thing. I was like, the fuck is she making me watch fucking Kanye for? And the things that we came up with when we were analyzing it were pretty, pretty damn insightful and good. And I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was. I mean, I enjoyed the documentary itself, but I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as much as I enjoyed the conversation about it. And that, and like you, for me, the thing I have missed the most is just the depth of the discussion. So there's, there's like, there's nobody else that I want to have these conversations with as much as I want to have them with you, because I know that you're going to be insightful and challenging and you're going to throw things my way and I'm going to have to bounce them back at you. And we're going to have a good time doing it, laughing mm -hmm. at the ideas and at each other and stuff like that. But I didn't do that anywhere near as much with the guests because I always felt like there's a kind of deference you have to show to the guests yes. you have to make them welcome and adapt to who they are rather than drowning them out in, in jism, let's say, uh, <laughs> which by the way, I'm yeah. sure, you know, at least one guest would have loved. So, so but <laughs> maybe two. <laughs> I think maybe there's only one who wouldn't, you know? Yeah. 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 So that being said, I think that. We gave up some of ourselves and the depth of the conversation in order to have a little bit of the expertise in there. And so yeah. the persona of you and I, as our, with our dynamic in our show, yeah. got a little diluted, I think, in trying to be as vastly chameleon-esquely accommodating as we possibly could for a range of guests. Yeah, I definitely didn't get what I expected to get out of the season. I thought I was going to change perspective. I thought I was going to have some insight that makes me think about intelligence differently. And I felt like it really kind of confirmed a lot of things that I was already thinking. And I think that's probably a bit of my disappointment in this season because I like my thoughts to be really challenged. I really want my ideas to be sharpened. And I don't think I really sharpened my ideas this season, sadly. Because like, for example, like the kinesthetic intelligence episode, like I knew we weren't going to be able to really articulate what it is that kinesthetic intelligence is. And you talked a little bit about already with the vestibular system, we had to experience it and it doesn't come across in this medium as well. Same thing hmm. with the art. The art, we talked about the historical perspective of a lot of things. And that was the most subjective episode, of course. But it's strangely enough, like the one that I felt the most objective about, and you were the most subjective, like we argued about whether art's political or not. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you know, like I, I just felt like, I guess, like I said, Noah's episode was the most surprising for me because he did articulate himself well enough, but I saw how much he struggled and that was really surprising to me. So, I mean, yeah, so, but I just, next season, I want to have a transformative experience like you did this season. I feel like you really had, like, you, you blossomed. And I, I want to blossom. That's why they didn't take hormones or surgery. Fuck. Come out as Bretoven, so there. Bretoven. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh -huh.
Yeah. Do you want to say anything else about the season before we move on? Hmm. Um, I did want to return to the existential Peterson debate. He has this, uh, you know, one, one of his rules tenets is, you know, notice where responsibility has been abdicated because that's where opportunity lies. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. So if you look at the uh -huh. landscape of, if you look at the landscape of our media and it has shifted in a way that is no longer just like center left, it is to the point where you have two caricatures, one is Fox News, and then the other one is everybody else trying to parrot the business model of Fox News and its, and its success with its viewership, which is ideological. And we've grabbed onto some of the most heinous and simplified ideas that are coming out of the left. And so I think what he's doing is realizing that the responsibility for keeping things you know, rational have been has been abdicated and he's stepping mm -hmm. in to say look there's a lot of this kind of stuff and we do need a counterbalance and it can't be something as oversimplified and ideological as fox it needs to be something else but there's a place for this and so i feel almost like a part of what he's doing is grabbing on to the responsibility that has come his way since he began fighting even the changes in language and the edicts that are coming that way so I think there's something else going on there that is a little bit deeper than him just leaning right. And it's really more about he's found a purpose in what has dissolved around us in our institutions, from the media to the government and how everyone is preaching the same message. But he sees a kind of decay and potential societal dissolution in this. And so I think... He's becoming the kind of paternalistic person he is to a lot of people by saying, I'm going to grab onto this mantle and fight for the things that are important and need to be stabilized in our society. And he will do that even at his own expense by leaning into some ideas that yep. might be a little bit harsher to some of the people on the far left. I so, totally agree. Yeah. So I wanted to say that because I felt like, okay, so... You know, I agree that there are things that he's doing, but I think that some of the analysis that I provided at least last week was, was fell short of giving him what he deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I figure that is probably, I did that in part also now to kind of demonstrate something that, that people need to look at when they think about, you know, the idea of this idea of intelligence is it's not just what you know, but it's the ability to, so now we're doing the toggle, we're zigging and zagging. We're finding where it is that something fits into a paradigm and finding another way to explore an idea. And that, by the way, having conflicting ideas in tension and being able to see how both can have elements of truth is part of what makes you smart. And, right. and the smartest people are not necessarily absolutely certain with a dogmatic, fervent conviction that the insight that they've had is absolutely correct. You need to be able to open yourself up and, and be a little more fluid. Uncertainty is king, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The smartest no, I, people I agree. Will say, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. When you look at the Dunning-Kruger curve, right? What is it? Yeah, they're, that they're, doesn't they're, make them sound bites. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't make sound bites, but it makes you a more rational and complete human, not a, a, a dogmatic ideologue. Well, I think that's why I have a lot of churn with everything that I do, because on one end, I recognize the medium. Like, so when I make these clips, I make them short 
quippy, pull out a lot of bullshit that's filler in there. And there's not a lot of nuance in the clips. You have to watch the episode to get the nuance. But I don't know that people will because they'll see something you say, polarizing or not, and then they'll immediately form a judgment about it. So the clips I made for that episode were me calling Jordan Peterson a liar. And I don't know if I did that or if that was Jonas. Well, but... I blame all the really especially funny stuff on Jonas because he's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He has a sense of humor that that <laughs> yeah, it's good that we give him material to play with because he's yeah. funny. He's been a road dog, you know, he's been a road dog since I've had like an Instagram account, but and I, thank God for him. I don't, would, I would not have made it through the season without our editor. I'm so glad he offered to, to help, but yeah, I pulled that and, and of course it didn't really capture everything that I think it was just me being hugely critical of Jordan Peterson. But I also said something like what you're saying, which is that he feels a responsibility, an inherent ph philosophical responsibility to lean in where he's going to have the most effect. And so I agree. I think he's a, and that's why I respect him more than maybe I, I let on sometimes, but I respect him because he's a true philosopher. He's living his philosophy and yeah. that's dope to me, whether or not I agree with it. I certainly don't think he's a Nazi. And I'm so sick of this, like, I don't like you to Nazi pipeline. It's just, and it's everywhere. And it's not just, I don't like you to Nazi. It's like, I don't like you, so you're a reductionist. I don't like you, you're a eugenicist. I don't like you, you're whatever fucking name I can think of. This is like children calling each other names on a playground. <laughs> and it, it, the, mo the moment that your conversation devolves into name calling, figure that's an abdication. You have literally said you've that lost. you have you, yeah, you've lost because you have nothing left. Yeah. No, I mean, and the joke, the NBC thing that's floating around right now, it's so funny because I call, I don't know if you saw the last episode of New Academia, but I said in my I introduction. I watched day one. You release it an hour later, it's playing. So it's. Talking <laughs> about road dogs. But I said, I thought, it, when I wrote this in my subsec, I said, I thought you were going to be a, an academic NPC. I was actually not looking forward to this episode right beforehand because I'm like, gosh, is this guy just going to parrot some bullshit? Is he going to really say anything interesting or go outside the box? And then he read it and sent me a message. He was like, I, I hope they're joking. Like, I think you are, but like, this is funny. I love it. And then he made a TikTok about it and said, you okay. know, am I an academic NPC? And people, and it was kind of sassy. And he told me it was going to be kind of sassy. And then people like dogpiled on me in a sense and were like, and they did in other formats too, because I was talking about this idea of calling someone an NPC. The left is now saying, well, that's an alt-right dog whistle to call someone an NPC. Because they're saying you're dehumanizing them. You're oh, saying Jesus. that they're yeah. why do the, why, do, why, do, why do these people are, are why are they allowed to eat, you know even like you know a pubic hair slice of your brain? It, it's like, yeah, uh, right. yeah, let them let, yeah don't let them. But it's fascinating. Your, but it's fascinating. Like because I'm like, what about the like the uh, what about the like I care about everyone to far left pipeline? It's like it's absurd because to say that. So they go, oh, okay, so if you think people are an NPC, you believe some people aren't worthy of living. I'm like, what the fuck? So someone said, well, if you don't wear a mask in public, you obviously think some people's lives are worth more than others. And I was like, why the fuck are we talking about masks? We're talking about NPCs and whether this is hyperbole or not. And actually, people don't really think other people are NPCs. They're just saying that you will go along with the mainstream thing. And she's like, well, I saw on your page that you went skating without a mask. So I was like, get the fuck out of my face. Like. But the 
thing is, is that the left is always looking for the next dog whistle. Like they're the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and I would say that's the problem is that they are actually doing the whistling. I, there, I remember, that was whistle. whistle. Oh, oh, that, see, that's the whistle. I, they, look, if you're hallucinating dog whistles everywhere, you might want to get that checked out. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, I mean, to get back to the idea of Peterson and kind of round this thing out existentially, nuance is everything. And to just bucket people immediately and give them one stamp, which I felt like Matt, Matt, while nuanced, obviously leans hard left and had a lot of negative things to say about Peterson, reaction boy, all these things. But I think when you lean into an ideology like he has, and it's, his, it's pretty much his entire brand to approach conservative thinking from a leftist perspective, you're going to harden and crystallize into that. And yeah. that's just a consequence of it. Well, and I could see that. So, and just the mirror of that is the way that Peterson opened up his Zizek debate. He was forced to crystallize, I think, by the pressures around him, by the perpetual reaction, interaction with the, well, the reactionary left. So Matt said, reactionary a lot. I'm like, you don't realize that uh, that characterizes much of what goes on the left as well. To try to use reactionary as a disparaging word for conservatism misses the mark when you're not looking in the mirror. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of both are. That's um, a leftist dog whistle. <laughs> it's a lot. I, I just dog whistle to somebody. Okay. All right. So that's, let's just call season two that because. Okay. Yeah. So are we no. going to talk about what we want to do next yeah. time around? Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. So, so let's talk about next season. Okay. What do you got? What I got ideas. What are your ideas? Okay. Give me, throw an idea out. I got some motherfucking ideas. Okay. I got two ideas that I think can be blended together like oh, a motherfucking okay. smoothie. All right. Okay. So, so when we even started talking about the idea of doing a podcast together, one of the things you asked me that, that has stuck with me is you said, what are you not seeing in other shows or what would you like to see or something of that sort? And I think I, I'm pretty sure I said something to you like, I want to see actual solutions to shit like i will listen to a conversation and it sounds all nice and rational I, and i can you know resonate with or not you know various positions but oftentimes i listen to things and i never come away with like here's an actual thought here's the crystallized thing that i should walk away with and so maybe we take you know, the large-scale social issues kind of like we started to talk about a little bit with peterson and so forth and we have our little jerk jokes about turfs and you know npcs and so forth and we explore those ideas deeply enough from you know our individual perspectives to come together to towards something that approximates a reasonable perspective on what these things are or maybe solutions for to issues or ways to solve those problems so give something me a thing. okay so give me an episode challenge give me a all right, challenge so, all right so i have a challenge for you so on the intrapersonal episode, a certain guest made a certain comment about testicles and I called her out on it for being like, you know, it's, it's a little bit pop psyche. 
That's not to say that there aren't legitimate concerns about you know men and various kinds of behaviors, but it's also not to say that women, because they have a certain set of attributes, are also on top of things properly. So I think a thing to do would be to look at maybe the behavioral differences between men and women, how they interact, what are the drivers for them, and what might be some solutions for how they could do better in understanding and interacting with each other. So that we're not just, so that we don't just have people griping and making, you know, what should be considered throwaway comments for an otherwise intellectual show. We actually say, okay, here's an issue. How do men and women understand each other and where are their strengths and how can we lean into them while simultaneously, you know, making a more coherent whole out of our species, something of that sort. Okay. So my first thought about this is that a lot of people like to jump into the solution space and fit a solution to a problem. And that this kind of gives me those vibes a little bit that like you already have things you want to talk about. You have solutions and you're trying to fit them to a problem. So I like to stay in the problem space long enough to recognize what the problem is. And I think you have to really articulate the problem in order to come up with decent solutions. I feel like you spent more time thinking about what you wanted to put out versus what the actual problem is. And so I don't well, think that there's... Well, that was just, well, I, I do have to say, that was just me, you know, you asked me for something. I was like, okay, here's right. something. But, so. but this is indicative of the season, potentially. I like coming up with solutions, obviously, but I don't like coming up with solutions for the sake of solutions. If we were to do something like this that is problem-based, I think we'd have to spend at least 50% of the time really identifying the problem and getting into the problem space first before we came up with solutions. So like, okay. for example, in the, if we were to do this as an episode, the question is more about gender because it's not just men and women anymore, right? There's cis men, trans men, you know, there's NBs and you might be tempted to say, well, that's a small percentage of the population, but it makes up the ecosystem in which we are communicating. So when we're talking about gender wars kind of shit, you have to include everybody in that conversation appropriately. Well, I think the way that I would frame it is, it is number one. So, so maybe we don't offer, but so, okay. So maybe it's not a solution, but maybe it's like, here's a framing that can help you to think about it better and maybe more, let's say, empathetically. So like, if you understand where someone is coming from and potentially why, you might be less likely to feel like you're in a war. You might feel like you have an ally who has strengths that maybe you don't. And those are things that are important for you. When it comes to non-binary people, people who, let's say, are tilting more one way or another, or who feel like they belong in some ethereal center, maybe they could glean from that discussion what they need from the discussions about the, let's say, for the moment, let's say, binary. And this is just a way to try to figure out how to talk about something such that it has confines that are explorable without saying that we need to do an infinitude of, of partitions, because that's not going to be the problem. But this is the problem is we can't fully and adequately address the problem if we relegate it to a binary and most issues. And well, it doesn't I, work because that's not that, even well, the problem. I, the problem isn't really between men and women anymore as much as it is between everybody. We don't know how to talk to each other. And this is one of those mm. things that some people want to exist outside binary. And some people are like, well, fuck you, you can't. 
We're not going to well, allow no, it. But now I think just even in this discussion about how things might be framed, we're starting to unveil how to frame it better so that we could have the conversation. Simultaneous. Yeah. So, so this is real time. Like, like we would have this discussion, you know, behind the scenes, like, okay, what is this issue and what are we going to do? And now you get to see a little bit of a, how do we arrive at what we might do and how we might approach it? Okay. So there's like a nebulous area that we're approaching in our spaceship and we're like, what the fuck is this? And mm -hmm. it's gender wars of some sort. And we have to figure out the problems and some viable solutions, maybe based upon evidence, maybe based upon experience and anecdotes. I like it. I like it. However, we talked about this briefly before. I hate the culture wars shit because even Matt came in Matt, our last Matt, came in and was like, so what do you guys do? You do, like, culture war stuff? Do you, like, you know, I'm like, I, like, no, that's not, I'm a fucking neuroscientist. Did you have a discussion? Was that your discussion with him? That was when uh, you were trying to yeah. figure out how to get in uh -huh. the room. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, got it. <laughs> My technophobia. Yeah. <laughs> he listened to the episode and he was like, so what do you guys talk about? You guys talk about gender a lot. And I'm like, Ugh, no. Which episode um, did he listen to? To get that, no that was another I have no idea, but that was his perception. So uh, maybe he listened to the interpersonal. <laughs> I don't fucking know. All I know yeah, is yeah. I feel like these are fake problems almost. They're like distractions and they're unsolvable problems, really. So proposing that there are let so let's say whatever issue there is, if I say, okay, well, there are at least five major things. So if we Pareto the, you know, the causes, so we get to a point where we say, okay, you know, I, if I'm going to try to root cause this, I really can't, but I can tell you there are at least five contributing factors. Let's look at how we can identify them and then talk about what their relative weight ought to be. And then maybe something like, here's a way to think about it. Maybe we can't, maybe we can't solve the problem, but we could demonstrate a mode of approach that would get you closer to a solution if you were to think about it deeply and maybe open up your minds to some alternative positions. Okay. Okay. So to that effect, we talked about solvable versus unsolvable problems, like kind of like discrete versus continuous problems. Yeah. To which I think this gender question is a continuous problem. But we also talked about doing things like talking about problems that are more discrete, like, for example, the energy crisis. And I am very interested in kind of picking a topic like that, diving in, learning as much as I can, and then kind of coming out with, here's what I see, even comparing that with maybe some expert notes. Is this the problem as you see it? Bringing that to an audience. And then also kind of saying, like, here's where we're roughing out solutions and maybe we're not doing the solutions, but this is kind of like where we stand with the energy crisis. Here's where the solutions are forking out towards yeah, yeah. some answer. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. We could point to, you know, for a, a season's length, if we're going to make them 12 episodes, let's say a piece, roughly speaking, then we could say, okay, we're going to, we're going to look at you know, that number of things. And we're going to say, no, I, here's what I know. Here's where, you know, li link whatever sources and so forth, but here's the conversation about, you know, what you found, what I found. And here are the ways that you might consider weighing things. I like looking at 
and I'm not sure you might hate this, but I, but since we like to be funny, because we need some fucking humor. We're talking, this is, there's not a lot of levity. There's always in humor. The there's problem. plenty of humor. But, there's plenty of fucking humor. Well, well there is, but, it, but in this part of the conversation, it's not a lot of humor. That's because we're thinking we're not joking. But, you know, I would love as a thing that we do as a regular thing, perhaps to look at the most, you know, asinine, let's, let's call them reactionary opinions of people who think that they understand what the problems are. And then rip them assholes about why they're not. And like, I hate that is, idea. Like, like, I don't here's at the thing, all. Here's why this is dumb as fuck. No, I, I do nope. not want to do that idea. Not even one little bit. Like, no. Oh, I. You could do it. I, I wouldn't mind. Do, I, I would do a little skit. I'll, I'll do my skit. You should do it. You should do it. But like maybe ask the gurus to like be their like little fucking court jester. Because I told you <laughs> I hate that shit. Okay. To me, it's, it bores me. It bores me to death. And I know you said, like, you listened to the Kendi episode. You listened to the Robin D'Angelo episode. I forget what else. There was something long time. Oh, you listened to another really long episode where they were kind of. This like, one was, I can't believe it's the only thing that made it listenable. And I think I just, I couldn't, I was hoping there was going to be a point. It was Jamie Wheel. Jamie Wheel. Yeah. And Schmachtenberger, who's a guy. Schmachtenberger by himself is almost unlistenable. Uh, but then you throw these other guys and then and this is the thing, right? This, I thought this was funny. Whether you think it's, I mean, I had a good fucking time. I played it in my car over the course of, you know, who knows how many attempts to get through it. It's listening to the three of them try to talk about how to have a proper conversation and then listening to them talk about shit in a way that never even approximated a conversation so poorly that three people who were presenting themselves as, look, I'm part of a think tank. I know how to have you know, high level dialogue. None of them to a one could even remotely approach having a conversation and then listening to them get insulted. Like at one point somebody said, well, you know, this is a problem and let's say it's three dimensional space. And the other guy says, well, no, it's not really three-dimensional. It's like n-dimensional space. And the other guy goes, don't talk down to me. Something like that. I'm like, who oh. cares if it's for your n? You're not defining the space anyway. It's always n. Getting seems- upset about it makes no sense. But it was like listening to little bitches talk amongst themselves while simultaneously not having a conversation. But it was, to me, it was laughable to watch them strain against the limits of their capacity for abstraction to come up with a concrete conversation. And this shows you, again, another bifurcation where you can be so abstract that it is so untethered from the real that nothing is actually happening in the world. So, But even hearing you talk about it makes me squirm. I'm like, when is this going to be over? Because you're... I love it. I love it. No, it's awful because you're recursively adding to that clusterfuck by just even talking about it. And this is the second time you've mentioned it to me. So I don't ever want to hear about it again. No, not, I wouldn't but, have talked about it. But, no, but like I hate it. It's And to me, it's like a little bit of like schadenfreude. Like, like because you like watching these idiots intellectually trip over themselves without even knowing it. And well, I, only watched it I only watched it one time. It's not like I sat there and said, oh. Shut the fuck up. You know, you sit there at night and like have it. Oh, let me just press the button harder. Let's see what happens. I I didn't didn't do that, but it was. Oh, I see. But I don't want anything to do with it. I think this Um, is what I mean about not wanting to do these cultural issues or even stuff like that, because to me, it's so far away from an actual problem or it's so like. 
it's so hyper articulated and semantic and removed from reality that it, it disappears into nothingness. And I don't want to be in that vortex or even close to it. Give me a real problem. Give right. me something that is tangible. I don't want to disappear into Baudrillardian fifth level simulation on this. Day. Well, we did that. The one commenter who was like, oh, Brett was, Brett felt emasculated by Baudrillard. I'm like, no. What? <laughs> oh you, yeah, you have to read our. You have to read our. Someone went at length to explain to me why it is that Baudrillard was saying things that well made sense, and I'm like, you just made my argument for me. I didn't have to say anything at all. Yeah. But some... that, that being said, as a kind of comic ruse, looking at something as a point of derision, I don't know, and maybe that's just not funny. Uh, that's a difference in our in no. our humor. Like I think it's hilarious that people pay them lots of money. To say nothing. I am too close to it to find it funny. It hurts me. To, it, it, so I can't find it funny. You know what I mean? Like, what do you, there's what certain. Do you by, what do you mean by too, uh, so, so too it close? It wounds me to see that. And y meanwhile, we're struggling to really actually try to solve things that are solvable. And you've got all mm -hmm. these fucking grifters out there doing shit that is almost. It's sucking people into a black hole of oblivion and ruining our society, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. And they're getting paid a lot of money to do that. And meanwhile, we're struggling over here, pouring our hearts out in real time. This will be unedited. People will see that we're trying to do this. And we're struggling to do that. And it's almost a mockery of humanity to me. And I don't, so I don't find it funny because it hurts. It hurts me existentially to see it. They have, they have drugs for that. Just saying. Oh, wait, I got another idea. Hold on. This reminds okay. me. All right, next idea. Oh, real quick. So, so this code. is separate, separate from th those jokes, which, you know, I, we'll, we'll do cool shit. And then maybe I'll throw a couple digs in it, you know, like, like the especially stupid activist retards. But, uh, <laughs> and you'll edit them out, but at least I'll say them because I'll feel better about myself for having done so. But so, so, so Jessica goes, you know, you guys should do an episode like drunk. And then I was like, we should do an episode where we take various substances and then we see how our opinions change based on those substances, almost like the way that spiders make different webs when you give them cocaine versus weed. <laughs> so would our positions change if we were drugged? That would be an interesting, that, that's not like every episode, but there should be like a, an episode where we go, okay, walk away two hours later. Now it's the hallucinogen. What do you think? Maybe, maybe, but I think. <laughs> Damn. I don't think, our, I don't, again, I don't think that would really affect our opinions. I think it might affect our presentation of them and also our ability to synthesize, right? So we might synthesize things a little bit differently depending upon what we did. But I also yeah. don't think that me, you or I would let ourselves get so altered that we would. No, yeah, because I'm really not actually, I'm not that person, actually. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I love you, Jesse. Well, it would be like, interesting. So, so like I've, how many people do you know? So how many, you know, somebody gets a little stoned and all of a sudden they're the world's greatest philosopher and they're saying the dumbest shit, but to them, it's profound as fuck and you can't yeah. convince them otherwise. Everybody thinks this about themselves. Well, first of all, everybody thinks, oh, we should have a podcast. And then on top of that, everybody's like, wouldn't it be funny if we were high on the podcast? That's the next logical thought. Well, that'd be so funny. And I think it's rudimentary. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I mean, something great sometimes. <laughs> on the episode I did of Neo Academia with Tani Burlow, she always does a shot in a flask. So we mm -hmm. did 
shots in a flask before the episode. And I was certainly looser than I was. It was like my an early episode of New Academia. And it helped me loosen up. And I think it helped me loosen up for the course of the rest of the episodes, to be honest. Because once right. I popped my cherry on that, I was like, okay, you know, I yeah. can be a little looser. But I'm, I'm all for having a bottle of champagne while we sort through these problems. You know that. So what well, we might want to like when we're at, you know, we might want to have a celebratory glass of wine or something like that. Oh, now, you start, now you're back cool. to a glass of wine. You reeled it back it's all the way to a glass of wine. It's a glass of wine or, well, it's a little smidge of alcohol just to, you know, oui. relax after having solved the world's problems. Can lose. Hell, load of horseshit. You are insufferable. <laughs> you are insufferable. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, uh, quite a few people have told me that we need like a Brett's corner of like where we just sit you in a corner by yourself with like a turban or something and let you just give your my my un unmitigated opinion on something, maybe. <laughs> then yeah. That would, I think people, there's a market for it, as you've seen. I mean, even you like to watch that and the ridicule of that. So, yeah, if I had like a Kanye gimp mask on, I'd be in great shape. Okay. So, we got the, this was my original idea is the real problem, fake problem thing was that we okay. explore, you know, something that we consider. And maybe I pick one, you pick one, I pick one, you pick one. And I would like to go deeper. And so I think I'd like to reduce the number of episodes we do so that we can spend and maybe like get a little bit more structure around our analysis or we record half the episode earlier or something to discuss the problem and then go back and think more about it. Because what I've found is after an episode, I don't ever go back and like rewatch the episode, obviously, because I'm editing it and that's a lot of work, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of thoughts and things that like linger and echo after the episode. Yeah. And I build on that with nowhere to put it. So maybe we could figure out a structure that works where we go a little bit deeper into less topics, but we do a more in-depth analysis. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, because I, I would like that. So even like, you know, when I think back to our reading of like Baudrillard or the stuff on like E.O. Wilson. I mean, we were, we were, we were deep in that stuff. The book itself took hours to read the analysis and then the exchange afterward. And again, that's really kind of, I think what was missing for me at, you know, talking with you th this season was that. So maybe there's something like we could, there, maybe there's an episode or maybe it's not an episode, but it's like, it's a discussion where it's the framing. Now we're going to frame, we're going to talk about how to frame the problem. Mm -hmm. Maybe, and maybe it's another discussion. So two discussions about yeah. it in total with time to research both before and in between to the recording of yes. what we're going to propose. So now each, each attempt at whatever it is, framing, let's say takes two episodes, but it gives us instead of like a two week period to, to prepare and get ready, maybe now we have a month. A month, yeah, I like that. I like that, something like that. Yes, in general, I think that's closer to an idea of what I would like, yeah. And we can discuss what problems we wanna solve. Like I said, maybe you can pick a couple, I can pick a couple and then we'll, you know, debate that. But okay. yeah, I mean, the, the other ideas I had was this debate punditry which I think is funny. And I think there's a lot of people doing these reaction videos or whatever. And we talked about doing that, but 
The problem with that is, again, it contributes to the reactionary news cycle. And I hate that. I hate like the debate shit. And yeah, it's gross, to be honest, to me, at least. It's funny, but it's like also the parts I find funny are like painfully funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think we like humor. And so, right. you know, you, you and I have talked like, hey, couldn't we do this and it would be fun? Or couldn't we do that? It'd be fun. But while we work some goofing into some difficult and strenuous topics, there's not an exact place for us to just be like, okay, we're going to be fucking crazy right now and have a great, and have a great time. And so, you know, I would like a place where that lives, where we go, okay, now, whatever it is, this is what's, this is what's going to happen and let it rip. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't think I have that same desire. Okay. Okay. Well, we've so, talked about it a little bit, though. Like, you were like, hey, let's do this, you know, let's do this wild thing. And so, oh, and it would be funny. Look. Yeah. I thought a lot of things would be funny. But the thing is, is I don't think I can, like, sustain on that. Like, if it's just purely funny, because I think it gets old for me. You know, like, the jokes, like, I, I'm, I'm a novelty seeker. And so even, like, anything, like, where we do the same format, I get bored. I'm like, okay, it's no, like, once it's done being funny for me, I'm like, I'm done. Like, it's no longer fun, you know? Yeah. So... I don't know about that one. Maybe we could. The other thing is we can do whatever the fuck we want. We can try and experiment. We could do a one-off. Like that's how this started was like, hey, I'm going to read this book, Tribes, that, you know, you recommended. And let's see how it goes, which we've never released that episode. Yeah, but I still want to, I kind of want to, I kind of want to watch that again just to see because that's really like, that's how it started. It's just, it's just how it started. It's our first attempt to take something and just have a conversation about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure eventually I'll release it. It's just, this is a lot of work, you know? And you know me, I can't just put something out haphazard. I painstakingly go over this, and you could ask Jonas. Like, it's just probably like, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. But I, I want to make sure that we are distilling the best parts of our conversation for people, because this is two hours. You're asking people to sit yeah, and oh, hang wow. out. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, like we're asking people to sit and hang out with us for an hour and they don't get to chime in directly. Like they can chime in later if they want. But ultimately, we're asking them to just listen to us for an hour or two. I want it to be good. And if there's something I think that was a stupid fucking thing we said or something that's not useful or relevant or some of one of us went. Right. Uh, or <laughs> <laughs> I need to long. do that at least once an episode. So I. <laughs> Yeah, but trust me, it's way more than once an episode. Um, but it's a lot of work, and it's really hard. Like even getting an editor, even Jonas, who knows me, knows my humor, is an active listener to what we do. It's difficult for him to know what is germane to the conversation in the way that you and I find it germane because we designed it. So he's watching okay. it, going, "I think that was relevant," and he cuts something. Then I'm like, "Oh, but that gave a perfect segue." So, like, just relinquishing that editing control, I have done quite a bit of that, but it's still, I still have to make sure it's right. So, it's yeah. a lot of work. One of the few ways around that would be, like, we said, so, and I don't know if we would ever do this. I wouldn't want to, but some people just, they know their shit. They're saying, they're saying their five talking points. It doesn't matter what question someone's going to ask them. They're going to work that stuff in. We won't do that. Uh, and it's boring. So I can watch, you know, a- any number of speakers go around and be interviewed by someone else. And it doesn't matter who's even interviewing because in the end, they're just saying the same things. And this is extemporaneous. So. We don't know what's going to come I, up. We have I, a I general map, but it, 
that's the thing that I like about this show is the kind of wild tangential nature of it because it's real-time thinking whereas I think we live in a sea of contrived questions and answers and interviews and programs and powerpoints and there's really not that many people out there just kind of giving you real-time problem solving they may be giving you real-time gossip they may be giving you real-time you know fucking around but like real-time problem solving no real-time no. intellectual no. shit where show me right it's a, it's not happening we our show will never be contrived and scripted i just don't want to do it i might make a video essay but that's about it i so i think we have our i think we have our ideas about what next season could look like we just have to solidify them yeah but i like that we compromised because i don't want to do the culture war shit and you do and so we're gonna <laughs> and i definitely yeah. don't want to do the like dunking on intellectual masturbators <laughs> and so we're definitely not doing that yeah that that, that one can be a hard no i have <laughs> That oh, is a hard limit to win. Yeah, the safe word on that is fuck you. <laughs> but yeah, I think I feel comfortable doing a little bit of that without it being like extremely reactionary and getting trapped in a recursive cycle for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> It'll like, be memeable. I'm going in the depths of hell for you, Brett. Next season, yeah. in the depths of hell. All the best people are there. Trust me. Oh, great. <laughs> we'll see you guys at the pearly gate. <laughs> thanks so much for listening for more resources including show notes bonus content and behind the scenes footage make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter at theoryyang.io forward slash newsletter